Welcome to the Understanding Jesus Podcast. I'm Pastor Troy Richards, and with me today is Mr. Josh Humphreys. That's me. We have no guest today, but we're, you know, Josh and I are the special guest today. We're, <laughs> we're, we're going to take that air of specialness into this. Mm-hmm. We have some really great things. that We're in the Gospel of Mark, and I'm going to tell you, the Gospel of Mark just has so many amazing stories uh, to share. We So many, we have so many to choose from. We're going to narrow it down to a few, but Jesus dealing with people who, um, uh, you have a woman with an issue of blood and, and seeing his power demonstrated and uh, also have a chance to talk about uh, some things in the Old Testament from Leviticus, from Psalms. So all kinds of, uh, we kind of deep dive a little bit today mm-hmm. in this edition of Understanding Jesus. Today we are going to be looking at a few different passages in I've got something the from Bible. the Old Testament. <laughs> the Bible, obviously. I got something from the Old Testament, but I'm going to start in the New Testament. Okay. Because uh, we're in we're in the Gospel of Mark, and and the Gospel of Mark is uh, w- well, it, it's it's really the Gospel of Peter. It, if you really believe and understand Ooh, how, how it originated, hot takes with because, Troy. Because <laughs> yeah, it is. Because uh, what we understand is that John Mark was his scribe and probably was writing down sermons, collection of sermons that Peter had given. And and that's why it reads kind of sermonically yeah. uh, when you read the Gospel of Mark. It doesn't have the the birth narratives at the beginning like you have in in Matthew and in Luke, but uh, and definitely isn't like John. But uh, but John, of course, reads like a gospel that was written after the other three were written. Right. Um, but the um, but anyway, but it, but in in uh, so so by the time we get to chapter three, we're we're deep into the ministry of of Jesus. He's called his disciples and. Um, and you have this um, this moment uh, where Jesus is dealing with uh, the um, Pharisees and them questioning uh, his origin and and his authority. Um, and it says Jesus in verse twenty, uh, Jesus entered a house and the crowd gathered again so that they were not even able to eat. When his family heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said he's out of his mind. The scribes who had come down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and he drives out demons Mm. by the ruler of the demons. So he summoned them and spoke to them in parables, How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is finished. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man then he can plunder his house and uh, and he's first of all he's it's crazy how his his family is turning against him his uh the pharisees are turning against him and and how quickly uh everyone is like uh, i don't cuz he's coming out as a person with authority and when a person comes with authority then if he's saying something that's oppositional to what you are saying then it's like you have to discredit him. Mm-hmm. You have to tear him down. Uh, it's really hard to tear down Jesus uh, <laughs> and discredit him, but this is how they do it. They say, well, he obviously is a voice of Satan. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's no different than what people do today. I mean, yeah. uh, that's why it's so important for us to stand on the Word of God, because when we're standing on the Word of God, then we say, well, this isn't me saying this. Mm-hmm. This is this is the Word of God saying yeah. this. That And that's because if it is me saying it, well, then, yeah, it could be. It could mm-hmm. be Satan. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, but but so he's saying this is. Uh, but he makes this point to try to explain to them 
why he cannot be Satan, because in order to say the things that he's saying that are the truth of God, he has to be able to bind Satan in order for uh, in order for the truth to be made known. And and so he uses a statement: No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. And so he's saying that I I, I can't come in and tear down the, these. I can't cast out demons. I can't go into Satan's house and free people from this house unless I first bind him and uh, and make him. So I can't be his operative, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, also we cannot expand the kingdom and um, and diminish Satan's grasp until we tear down his strongholds. Now, the, where this really hits me is I think, how can this be done when we are strengthening the strongholds of Satan through disobedience? Yeah. When mm. we are not being obedient to God, it is impossible for us to expand. So, so Satan's biggest uh, goal here is to constantly tempt us to leave his house alone. Mm. And so he sees us coming. Uh, if he sees us as a threat, then he tries to do something to uh, put us back, uh, to make us powerless, mm-hmm. to take our power away. The house, the house, I think of it like this, the house is any person who is not cleansed and filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, here's my Matrix analogy again. but the Because um, there is this moment in the Matrix, and we've talked about this before, how when they're in the simulation, and there are all these people wearing black and white suits or whatever, and there's a woman in a red dress. And he said, do you see the woman in a red dress? And he goes, turn around and see her now. And he turns around, and it's an agent. Mm-hmm. And, he sa- and he makes a statement. He says, anybody who's in the Matrix can become an instrument uh, of the Matrix at any time because they don't have the will to be able to reject uh, that. So, they can, so basically an agent can inhabit any member of the Matrix. That's a, a biblical concept. I mean, they, when they wrote the movie, they were taking— it was there's a lot of neo-orthodoxy involved in, in the way they were writing the I mean, Neo is supposed to be a Jesus-like character and so forth. But uh, but the idea is a biblical concept. And that is every person who is not cleansed and filled with the Holy Spirit is susceptible to be manipulated and used as a tool, an instrument of Satan. And so when you and I see a person who is not a believer, that the first thing that has to be done is the strong man has to be bound in their life in order for that that house to, that person to be set free. And so he's saying, I'm going into these people's lives and I'm binding the enemy in their life. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that they will be filled with the Spirit, but he gives an example. He says, if they are not filled with the Holy Spirit at that point, then more evil spirits will come mm-hmm. back and the condition that man <clears throat> later will be worse than it was at the beginning. Um, so it's better... So Obviously, once you free set a person free from whatever it is, they need to then ask God to fill them with His Holy Spirit. That which is which is all done through putting our faith in Jesus Christ. You know, we we use the word salvation or getting saved when really what getting saved is is God transforming us by putting His Spirit inside of us. It's a supernatural work where God literally comes to dwell within us. And it is an act of faith, and then we walk forward believing that God dwells within us, and it's proven that God is dwelling within us by the fruit that is born in the lives that we live. Meaning we, basically, it's like you are given a superpower, and you can see that superpower by the fact that you can use that superpower. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> and so, uh, so if we want people to, we want to see people set free, 
we have to be walking in the name of Christ. We have to be obedient to him because uh, we must want his, we must want his will to be done. I, I, I think of it when you encounter somebody, uh, an old friend or whatever, and you are tempted to, um, like, like somebody who is, sees an old flame in high school and is tempted to have an affair. Well, you then are wanting the sin in your heart. If that person isn't a believer, the, Satan is trying to tempt you into the sin because mm-hmm. that will hinder your ability. Now you have no gospel to share. You have no mm-hmm. good news to share because you want something selfishly for yourself. Or even if you just want to borrow money, you know, or something yeah. like to that effect, you have something you're trying to get from them. And, and, and once he, all he's doing is looking for something, anything that will keep you, hinder you from wanting to see that person set free. I, I, a couple that I counseled very first when I first started in ministry, uh, she was purportedly a Christian and he was not a Christian. And when we led him and, and sh- when we led him to Christ, they were living together. And, and, uh, when he became Christian, he was like, we shouldn't be living together. And then it became, it became, um, it became kind of clear that she was kind of not wanting him to be saved because him getting saved then threw the light on her own disobedience and uh, and created all kinds of issues and problems and that's and that's uh, I've seen that in a lot of uh, relationships with people but if we want to sin um here's <laughs> I this, I didn't mean this to have like a t-shirt slogan but <laughs> if we want to sin we we can't want Jesus to win so yeah. if you want to I mean it's true yeah if we want to sin, we can't want Jesus to win. So anyway, <laughs> but every choice is either Satan to sin or Jesus to win. So, yeah. And mine's kind of along that lines. I'm um, actually going to go back into the Old Testament, into Proverbs. Um, Proverbs chapter 10, um, verse 11 says this. The words of the godly are a life-giving fountain, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. And kind of like what you're talking about, like if you... Um, if you want to sin, Jesus won't win. There's this understanding as well of like, we need to, we as Christians, we need to be leading people closer to Jesus through every conversation we have. Mm-hmm. Like, if you want Jesus to win, you have to be very um, wise with the words you're speaking. Mm-hmm. Like, is what you are saying reflecting Christ? Something that um, my old pastor used to tell me uh, at First Baptist Oak Ridge, his name's Brandon Moore. Um, one thing that he always continued shout to... Shout out to Brandon. Yeah, shout out to Brandon Rosound Network. Um, he um, taught us uh, at church, the whole church, um, the word intentional, the importance of being intentional. Mm. And something that he always said was, because <clears throat> we had like, uh, we had a bunch of like festivals in Oak Ridge <clears throat> and we would, the point of those festivals were for the church to engage the lost in Oak Ridge. Mm. Um, and lead them closer to the Lord. It may not be immediate salvation, but it was every conversation. He said, every conversation you have needs to bring people closer to Jesus, one step closer um, to Jesus. And he said, because every conversation you have will lead someone one step closer to Jesus or one step further away from Jesus. Mm. Um, And so when I was reading this this week, um, and just the reminder this this is so important. The words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. You have to ask yourself that question. Are the things that I say out loud and even like in my mind, are they a life-giving fountain or are they not? Like, do they work for the enemy? Like what we're talking about here. Are we being instruments for what Satan uh, does? Right. Um, are we having, um, are we intentional with our words? Are we making sure, like, are we wise with our words? Um, are we giving life to people as we walk near them? Because that's also our job as well. 
Um, and just to like some other scripture to like back up with that, because intentionality in your words is really hard. And I will <laughs> never forget. I was interviewing for a church camp in Kentucky and uh, they told me no, which like was really surprising My to like, also got rejected. Yeah. Would, yeah. So they told me no. And it like really made a lot of people angry, not just me, like, but other staff that I had worked with, like mm-hmm. they were not happy with it. So I called my boss, well, who wasn't my boss anymore because I basically got fired, <laughs> but I called them um, and, I, and I said, hey, what happened? Like, what's going on? Because um, that confused me. And he was like, you dominate conversations. You speak too much. And I was like, oh, gotcha. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but, <laughs> and it wasn't that I was saying anything wrong, but right. it was this understanding of like, I speak too much or like my, my words aren't life giving. I may be babbling too much. And so since 2017, I have been learning my words and being intentional with them because of passages like in Proverbs where it says the wise uh, is quiet and you know, that kind of stuff. But also in James three, James three, five through six just says this. So also the tongue is a small member yet it boasts of great things. How a great forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Mm. Um, and then the scripture continually talks about how um, what our heart is full of, then our mouth will speak. Um, and it is so important um, for us to realize that our words, like really people are like, my words don't have a lot of power. And it's like, no, but they do. Like scripture speaks of how dangerous words are and how life-giving words are. And so um, when I was reading this this week and my encouragement to the people listening is like really learn intentionality in what you're saying because it really does have a lot of effect on the people around you and on your life. Um, and it's just so important. And so anyway, I just think it's something that we overlook a lot. We don't think about a lot because words, I mean, a lot of the times, I mean, we grew up this you know stupid saying, the sticks and stones may break my bones, but word will never hurt me. Mm. It's like, mm, that's a lie. Like words are very, yeah, very damaging. powerful things. Um, and so when you're speaking to people, um, church and whoever else is listening, like be intentional with them. Um, think before you speak, you know, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Um, be, be very careful with them. And also ask yourself, are they bringing a fountain of life to people or right. is are you bringing unrighteousness and wickedness and sadness and yeah it is and i think we have a tendency to want to um, when we see that we've said wrong words we try to fix it with mm-hmm. more words mm-hmm. and the reality is is that we just need to stop yeah that yeah. Was, especially if you recognize that you said some things you shouldn't mm-hmm. have said because you're not being guided by the holy yeah. spirit the enemy is just hoping that you'll just keep talking because yeah. he can keep he can keep directing that. And, and, it, and that's where it is so hard, so difficult, <clears throat> though, to recognize I am not in the right spirit to be saying Yeah, anything. and it goes on to say that, like, literally a few verses after that. Um, in verse 17 of Proverbs, it says, Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but whoever rejects reproof leads to others, leads others astray. Like, yeah. just be okay with you being sinful. Like, yeah. I mean, not don't be like, oh, I'm sinful, and that's great, but, like, realize yeah. that we're and all just, broken. And just say the words, I need to stop talking now. Yeah. I that, don't need to or like, now. you know what? I did mess up there and I'm that's sorry. Right. Like that's, that's right. on me. That's right. And I'm, I'm not going to say anything more. I'm yeah. going to stop. 
I should stop talking. Yeah, right. And cease, right. cease and desist. Yeah, absolutely. it's like it's like being because sometimes we when you are not get, be, when you are not in the spirit, mm-hmm. whether you're whether you've been drinking or not, mm-hmm. you are like a drunken person. Yeah, you're you're a person who's because a drunken person doesn't have control. Right. And when you don't have control, regardless of whether you've been inebriated mm-hmm. or not, you're you're still out of control, and you just need to. Uh, and we all know people when they are under the influence of something how they say things yeah. they really shouldn't say. And we become like that. And when we become desperate or we become anxious or we become stressed or whatever, uh, we're, we're tired, mm-hmm. we're fatigued oh, yeah. and so forth. But it, yeah, you're right. It's it's so important to say, it, before I speak, to say, is this is God controlling me mm-hmm. in this moment? Uh, do I sense his presence guiding me and directing me in the words that I say? Um, so that I don't. That's hard. Like, I'm not saying it's super Especially easy. Especially people who are talkative. Yeah. Because they're talkative people. I talk yeah. Yeah. all the time. Like, I don't stop. And when I, you know, when I was 17, 18, when I heard someone say that to me, I was like, ah, mm-hmm. oh, you don't know what you're talking about, blah, 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 you know, yeah. and still wanted to go on further. But now as I've, I mean, let's see here. What is that? Five years later, five, years, five years later, like, yeah, I did nothing but talk. And like, that's dumb. Like, yeah. and I see that now and understand like yeah. the importance of actually listening and speaking wisdom when it needs yeah. to be spoken, not well, just in our aimlessly. pride. You're right. Our pride yeah. gets in the way. Yeah. Very good. Good stuff. Well, we were reading through Leviticus, and um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in Leviticus 15 where it was talking about discharges and things like that. And <laughs> right. But I think it's important to understand that uh, there was a there was a concept given that's going to that then speaks to us. And I've really enjoyed the last few weeks of reading, a mm-hmm. uh, few days actually, even uh, where you can almost see in the same day of what we're as we're reading through the Bible, as we read New Testament, Old Testament. You see parallels between the things that mm-hmm. Moses is addressing in the mm-hmm. Old Testament and what Jesus is dealing with in the New Testament. And one particular one stands out, and this a story is very familiar to us in Mark chapter 5. Um, well, actually, it's not Mark chapter 5 that I want to do. It was Mark, yeah, it's Mark chapter 5. Uh, a couple of things, actually, are in Mark chapter 5. Two, two different events, two different mm-hmm. stories, people there. Three, actually, I'm going to, all, all three, in fact, uh, fit into this. You have, um, in Mark chapter 5, you have this uh, demoniac. Uh, you have a, wom- a guy whose uh, daughter dies, and you have a woman with a, with a discharge of blood that she's had for 12 years. Mm-hmm. All of those are dealt with in, um, in Leviticus. You have a man who's naked yeah. and running around, demon-possessed, unclean. You have a, a, a man whose child is dead, unclean. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have a woman with this discharge of blood, yeah. and she's unclean. These are these are things that hinder us from um, from uh, being in the presence of God. I mean, in the Old Testament, God is saying, "Here is what you are unclean and are ceremonially unclean, and you cannot come into the synagogue. You cannot worship. You can't come into the tabernacle. You can't offer sacrifice. You can't worship me, basically, um, until the next day. You mm-hmm. have to go through some type of ritual cleansing if." Uh, and if you were a leper, uh, you, you had to be non-leprous. If you had this issue of blood, you had to be over it. And when you were over it, then you had to go through a cleansing process. Mm-hmm. And once you were clean, then you wait till the end of the day. And then when the next, well, after, right. after sundown, the n- next day started and, and you were clean and able to worship uh, God again. Uh, I'm just going to read to you this one passage uh, from Mark chapter 5 um, about the woman. Um because it says, now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. 
On the contrary, she became worse. Mm-hmm. Having, I, I just think it's amazing how Mark includes those details in the story. So, it, so apparently they got these details yeah. at some point uh, that she had she had had this for 12 years. She'd been to the doctor, couldn't get any help. And, and so this was something she was really trying very with everything that she had to mm-hmm. overcome and was not getting any relief from this. And she said, having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made mm. well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Now, there's there's a moment where Jesus recognizes that power went out from him and so forth. Uh, and and uh, and this is the this is the thing that is kind of what we talked about faith and trust the last mm-hmm. time that she had tr- she trusted in his power. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that she had a lot of faith, some mysterious yeah. entity. She trusted in the power of God and believed that if she could just touch him, touch, come close to touching him, that she would be healed. And he, now Jesus did sense power mm-hmm. go from him into her. And, and so here you have God showing that he does have power to make us holy, mm-hmm. to make us clean. And so in in the demoniac, he cast out the demons. In the woman, he healed the issue of blood. And the girl, think about this, Jesus would be made unclean if he'd ever touched a dead body. Mm-hmm. But Jesus never touched a dead body right. because he always made them alive. Right. And so, but, he, but you know, because people say, well, these people got sick again. These people got afflicted again. All the, all the, all the legs that Jesus healed, eventually those people died. All the people that were able to see eventually lost the sight because they died. And, and all these people they made well. So what was the point? And well, one, it was demonstrating his power, but it was more so that he was showing that it is God's desire, God's will mm-hmm. to make us clean so that we can enter into his presence and worship him. Mm-hmm. And and that's and that's what this woman was seeking, and it is what God desires to do. So it's it's not just that God wants your legs to work so that you can walk again. It was that according to the Old Testament law, mm-hmm. those who were maimed, those who were not able to be, could not be priest. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had to, if you were, if you were maimed or whatever, you had other services you could do, right. but you were limited. And God is showing that He's now building a kingdom of priests. He is doing whatever needs to be done to anyone to make us what we need to be to be priest of the living God. And 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 that's that's something we, when you are praying, that should affect our praying. It should say when you're when you're saying God, I want to be over this illness. Ask the question, why? Why do you why do you need to be over this illness? Mm-hmm. What is it that what is it that you're wanting? To, what is it that the illness is hindering you from doing? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes you have an affliction, and the affliction gives you more ability to do what it is God wanted you to do. It gets you where you need to be. Say for instance, it puts you in the hospital, and God wants you to be a witness in the hospital. That's your ticket in the door to be with that nurse or whatever who needs to hear the gospel and so forth. So really, the prayer is God just help me to be sensitive to what your, to, spirit. To what your spirit yeah. is doing. Do I have this? You know, am I? I'm here. So help me to be on task for you. But if you really believe that God wanted you to be at a particular event, and your illness or your affliction is hindering you from being at that event, if He does want you to be at that event then it is absolutely appropriate to ask God heal me so I can go to that event. And you'll know his will because he will heal you mm-hmm. if you need to be at that event. There's never a circumstance where you're supposed to be somewhere doing something or involved in something, involved in kingdom work, mm-hmm. where you go to God and say, God, can you do this? Where God says, man, I really wanted you to be at the thing, but mm-hmm. what you got, that's too much. It's too yeah. big. 
There's never that never happens. It's always we're always discerning God's will by the fact of of what He is doing and what He's not doing. He will have you if you're being obedient to Him and you and you call out to Him in prayer. Then he, He's revealing. You may think you should be at that event, but He's going to reveal to you the truth by what he does next. Mm. And so when we are praying, we're, we should always be expecting God to answer that prayer. We're just seeing how he's going to reveal his answer so that that helps us discern, does he want me there or does he not want me there? And, and, but always trusting that he does have the power to do the thing I'm asking, and he will do it if it is what will get me to where I need to be. But I am the one who is not privy to what he wants mm-hmm. until he reveals that. Yeah, and I think it also goes to, like, just knowing that he's going to do something. Like, it doesn't, like, that's something that I, in my past four years of my crazy life, mm-hmm. like, when I was supposed to move to Wisconsin mm-hmm. to go to Bible college, I was like, all right, I know I'm supposed to go to Bible college. And that was it. And mm-hmm. so I was like, all right, God. And then COVID hit. So then they shut down the campus and it was like, uh, am I going to go? And then we had like this interview process of yeah. who was going to be like on campus. And then there was like, oh, now we're opening up this online program and all this stuff. And I was just like, all right, God, like, I know you're going to do something. I don't know what it is. And we were getting, I mean, it was two weeks. Yeah. I like, I had to decide because I was gonna be moving it in two weeks and it was on me. Not really, but like it was on me to decide, am I moving? Am I moving up there to find an apartment or am I staying? And it was just like, I don't want to, I don't know about any of them. And it's just like knowing that God is going to do something and like, that's it. Like he's going to do something and just like you said, be sensitive to what the spirit's saying and like, just keep knowing <laughs> like well, he's and, God. and he's teaching us the whole time mm-hmm. he it's a it's a process it is a typical process because yeah he's teaching us the whole time when you take that step mm-hmm. and then he allows the consequences that to, just to reveal to you that was the wrong step you right. shouldn't have taken that and and then you recognize oh wait that i thought that was god saying it but mm-hmm. this is not the i don't think this is god at all right uh then it you realize that's <clears throat> not how god talks mm-hmm. that's this yeah. is not right. how god reveals himself right. Um, there was a time I, I used to, um, we joke about the numbers 1220 a lot in our family because I went through this prayer time. I believed that God was putting the numbers 1220 in front of me all the time. And it was like, he is trying to show me something. And, uh, and I worked at a radio station that it was an AM station. It was AM 1220. And I thought he's trying to tell me to go back to 1220. Well, we look in the first house that Kim and I had lived in was 1220 McFarland Lane. And, and we went to buy a clock at the, at the store and on the box, the clock was set on 1220. And it was like, and this, all these different things would happen. Uh, and so it's like, he wants me to go. He wants me to go. He wants me to go. So I went, I took this job, worst decision I'd ever made in my <laughs> entire life. And it was, and God just, and if there was ever a time when God just was like emphatic of saying, I absolutely was not telling you to do yeah. this. And then it, and then it hit me that Satan also could mm-hmm. put all these things. Yeah, if I'm looking right. for this and want this, he absolutely can make my gas pump end on 1220, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. instantaneously and have this sign and this sign. Cause I'm looking for these signs. And Jesus said, an adulterous generation seeks a mm-hmm. sign, you know, that you're, that, that is, I'm, I'm making what I want, you know, that's, that's the point of being the adulterous generation. Mm-hmm. I have a God that I want. I have an idol that I'm after. And so I'm making everything fit what I wanted to say. Mm-hmm. Like, that's where you build a golden calf. It's yeah. like, this is the one who delivered me. Uh, and, and God's like, uh, okay, I'm going to teach you. So-. Because, and it was a, an act of grace. Mm-hmm. I mean, the act of grace is the, le- the level of scourging that you undergo when you make a bad decision is how much God loves you mm-hmm. and cares about you. If, if, 
if he's not doing anything, you don't obviously you may not be his child right. uh, if he's not if he's not disciplining you and you're and you're able to get away with it. But I was <laughs> I was definitely not able to get away with it. And and now we joke about it, but I recognize now when I see it, I'm like now when I see those numbers, I'm like. I, is that the devil? You know, it's like there's it's Satan yeah. attached to that. But I recognize that things are um, things like that in our lives when they when they come uh, over and over again. Like you say, you know, if this I'm going to open up the Bible and close my eyes and put my finger on a particular word and whatever that is, that's the verse that's going to be for me. Just understand Satan can absolutely guide and direct that. That is not how God reveals himself. He reveals himself uh, to each of us uniquely, I believe, as I believe that he does teach us by his Holy Spirit. Here's how I communicate with you. As you go through the word, I will make it clear in its translation. I will affirm it by other followers of me who are filled with my Holy Spirit within the church. You know, my, I will work your circumstances to reveal that this is me. There, there are certain fruits of the Spirit. I mean, he tells us in Galatians 5.22, here's the fruit of the Spirit. Here are the things that mark me. This is the thing that, this is the thing that marks the world. This is the things that mark me. And, and, and it, we're just like children who are learning the voice of our Father, to recognize Him, and not hoping that it's Him, but knowing that it's Him. Mm-hmm. And uh, sadly, it, it takes a while to, uh, because we do kind of force um, uh, force His hands, kind of like, um, did you ever play a Ouija board? No. You, didn't, you weren't allowed to do such things like that? No, and I didn't want to. <laughs> oh, well, when we were kids, we did a Ouija board, and, and, you know, and, and we would always... I don't know what your experience is with Ouija board, if anybody's out there listening, but we were always making it move. And we loved a person who was, we always say, hey, your finger's really light. And we love a person who, uh, you know, you try to get somebody younger, naive or whatever on the other mm-hmm. side. And you're like, I'm not doing it. I'm not moving it. It's just yeah, moving yeah, on its yeah, own. Yeah, 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 but you're making it move. And it's yeah. a little time. And that's, but that's kind of what we do. That's how Satan works. Is, mm-hmm. and, and the truth is, if a Ouija board ever is moving, it's just Satan himself who's moving it for you, and because he can do that, he can he can give us the answers that we want to hear. Uh, so, but uh, but the cool part is is that uh, that Jesus Jesus has not about the Ouija board. <laughs> yeah, that, the cool part is, is that God God does want to make it clear, mm-hmm. and, and so he there's, does. there's no air of mystery. There's no yeah. figuring it out. It is if you really want to know the mm-hmm. truth about what he's saying, uh, he will reveal that. Yeah. yeah, and just like one more little thing on that, just like the clarity of God. I, there's just so many times that I can look back and just not like no one, he doesn't like audibly speak to me. There's not like a, like a 1220 sign, like none of that. Like, like one time, like recently I was laying on the floor of my, my friend's house and I knew that I was supposed to be having some sort of conversation like in the future. I just didn't know when and I was like, Lord, like you'll, you'll let me know when it's time. Right. And I'm laying down on the floor head on a pillow and like looking at this like TV screen. Someone's like, they're like um, doing screen sharing and we're like looking through funny pictures on a mm-hmm. phone. And I was just laying there, minding my business. And then I just had this overwhelming feeling of, yep, you're having that conversation tonight. And it was just like, I was like, really? Like, <laughs> it was like, I know that was you, Holy Spirit. I know that that, like it just, I just knew there was right. no question about it. And it's the same kind of thing. Like, I think it's in first Samuel where um, I believe Samuel or Saul, someone's laying in the, the tabernacle or, or in the temple or something like that, and he hears someone speaking to him. And so then he runs to the priest. He's like, someone's talking to me. And yeah, he's like, Samuel, no, yeah. it's not. And yeah. then the, the guy who has been uh, Eli. Who he, Eli, yeah, he's like, oh, wait a minute. This could be God talking to you. Yeah. And so it's like Samuel knew like, yeah. this is God. Yeah. When he speaks, you know, like you just know. And that's like 
there's so much comfort in that and like understanding I don't have to figure out this twelve twenty sign or I don't yeah. have to like, you know, uh well, it was, it was, Eli, it was Eli who gave him the clarity. I right. mean, Samuel hears a voice. He thinks it's Eli talking to him. Right. And he's like, no, it wasn't me. And, right. and then Eli recognizes, mm-hmm. and it, which shows that, that that's the that's where I'm saying God will put other mm-hmm. people in your life who are more uh, right. experienced than yeah. you or whatever. And, and he's like, no, this is this is God talking yeah. to you. And, that, and that's the cool yeah. thing is, like, yeah. he's just so clear. Like, yeah. And that's something I've realized in the, in the past four years of all of the decision-making, good and bad, that I've gone through is, like, all right, I don't have to make a decision right. unless he is clear, and he is clear. And, so. and he and and he will mm-hmm. the consequences of that decision. He will also be clear that this was God. Right. You know. It right. Will, it will all. It, it will. It will be affirmed mm-hmm. by the things that come after. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. So, um, I was gonna. I'm going back to Mark. Mark mm-hmm. chapter two, um, verse seventeen. This is a a very well known passage to the unbelieving world, um, because um, they use it as ammunition against how we love people. Um, but I'm not going to be speaking about how it's used as ammunition, but this is what it says. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. And um, this passage is used a lot because oftentimes as we look at the American church, Western culture, just in general, um, we see Christians wanting to spend time with Christians, which uh, that's biblical. Let's re 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 that. We see Christians only speaking of righteousness and only spending time with righteous Mm -hmm. people. Um, And it's true. Like truly we do that. Like we in the American church don't very, we we don't care very well for orphans and widows and ungodlies. We we just don't. Um, So that's on us. Um, But we do the same things that the Pharisees were doing. Mm -hmm. Look at these people who are hanging out with these scumbags. Like, Mm -hmm these like nasty people that's what the pharisees were doing and jesus gives us a really important really really important thing that we as believers need to understand even us as we're lights in this world are not for the righteous people Mm -hmm. like we're here as like what like what you've been talking about the priests on earth that's what we are we are his kingdom uh we're the ones harvesting and doing all this stuff and like we're the ones that he is allowed to carry out his will like that's our job um and so i want to talk about like i was at uh, i was visiting a church yesterday um and there was a, a missionary there from uh, malawi in africa mm-hmm. and uh it's a ministry called win the saints and this is a um sex slavery ministry mm-hmm. and um when the saints um the the guy has like he, he's really awesome his name's david and he um has this home it's the only uh trauma counseling center home in the entire country of malawi mm. um and they've had 254 girls go through the program and, and it's like really amazing um really really awesome ministry of restoration in these young girls um but i wanted to talk about what else they've started within the past few years is having compassion on the men who are actually the ones who are like sinning, like, I mean, like abusing these young, these young girls. It's a 16 year old and under mm-hmm. home for, for girls. And um, what they've started doing, and I think it's within the past year, um, they've actually gone to like these hotels and stuff, like where the men would, where you can participate in the sex ring basically and mm-hmm. like buy these like young girls and stuff. Um, they actually go to this hotel or to these hotels and they host a dinner. 
and they tell the people, hey, we're having free dinner, but we're also going to tell you about Jesus. And these men come to these dinners and they're shared, like the gospel is shared with them. And then like really crazy things happen. But I, w- I, w- I want to talk about the first time he did it. David said that like, I mean, his heart is for these young girls. And so when he felt this call from the Lord to um, like share with these men, he had anger, like legitimate anger, because I mean, who wouldn't like you are looking in the face of these young girls, 16 and under who are going through sex slavery. Mm. Um, And then now the Lord's calling David to look at these men, these perpetrators to their face and called to love them. Mm. And he like was, he was saying that he, right before the first dinner, he just sat down in the room and he was like, um, Jesus, like, please, your spirit has to give me compassion because he's like, I just want to like, he's like, I know when I, when I've seen these people, I just want to deck them in the face and just like, you know, do what we all would do, like hurt them (laughs) because they're doing horrible, detestable things. And, and he said, he was like, there's the only way Lord is if your spirit is within me and gives me a heart of love because Mm -hmm. I have heart of hate to these people. And he said, he walked into the room, this like dinner room. And they, he said, I had nothing but compassion. He was like, I wasn't angry at all, but it was just an overwhelming mm. sadness for yeah. these men. Because um, anyway, so he goes on, he shares the gospel with these men, talks about God. And he said that this man named Thompson came up to him afterwards. And he said, um, basically, he was like, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. He said, I've been doing this every day of my life for so long. Mm. Like, having sex with these young girls and buying them. Um, And he was like, but I don't want to do that anymore. And so, and he was like, all of my friends do the same things every single day. And he was like, how do I tell them to stop? Like, how do I get what you told me and share that with the people around me, all of my friends? Uh, And so David gave him an audio Bible that's like solar powered and gave it to Thompson. And Thompson then went out back to his home into his village and every day they would listen to the word of God. And he's lost contact with Thompson since then. But it started with one, with mm-hmm. Thompson and one other guy. And it grew to 13. And then he's lost contact since then. But that right there, I was sitting, I was crying, obviously. Because, like, that's a beautiful story of yeah. the gospel of, like, like David could have gone to the righteous people in Malawi. But right. he went, like, their first hotel was, like, this massive, gorgeous, beautiful hotel. And then he felt the spirit say, like, no, you need something dirty and nasty because that's where people are going to be right and so he went there he went to the dirty he went to the nasty and he went to the horrible hotel like this on um, devil street is what the people of malawi called this certain street and he went there and that's where he shared the gospel and watching restoration happen even amongst these men like that is what we're called as believers to do right not just to the righteous not to the people who look so great like we're the city, we're the people that God has given um, a gift to of salvation and right. the story of restoration that we get to share with the rest of the world. And so we, church, need to remember that. Like, right. there's a lot of darkness in this world, uh, and these people are sick. Like, and they don't even realize that they're sick. They have right. no clue. They just know that what they're doing feels good in the moment and that. Afterwards, they feel sad, but they keep doing it and keep doing it. They don't know. They don't have right. the story of the gospel. Um, and, and so that's what rung out to me. Like, again, Matthew 9:36 says um, Jesus had compassion on them because they were helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Right. And like, 
that is the world that we live in. And I have just seen in my heart, even over the past few years, even working in student ministry, I can get mad at the students and want to punch them in the face because they're being idiotic or being distracting. But the thing is, just like those kids and just like those men in Malawi, they don't know any better. They don't have the gospel right. that teaches them. They don't like in, in Ephesians four, when it says, but you, but that is not the way you learned Christ. That, and, and he's talking to the church there. These people, they don't even know Christ. They don't know anything about him. Right. They don't know how to live a restored life. They, so we can't expect them to, but that's our job. Just like Jesus is doing, he's going to these tax collectors and sinners, reclining at their table mm -hmm. and bringing them life and sharing the goodness of life with them instead of going to the Pharisees and saying, hey, let's talk about this and let's do this. And da -da -da -da. No, he goes to the darkness and the brokenness and he brings healing and restoration there. And that is, that's compassion. And so like, that's what I was just praying for myself, like yesterday and today, even just like, man, anger for sin, like is good. Like that's righteous, but also compassion for the ungodly. That's what he wants. He wants yeah. mercy and grace. He doesn't want, you know, like just like righteous imposement of all of, you know, everything. He wants mercy and grace right. for the people around us. And that is just a really cool story. Yeah. The, the contrast in today with that is that Jesus, when he was talking to the Pharisees um, and, and saying that he's called um, the, you know, the sinners to repentance and, and, and those who are sick, not the righteous, uh, that he's not talking. The Pharisees aren't the church. Mm -hmm. and I think sometimes people will say, oh, that's just like the church today. It's like, no, it's, it's not the church. It's, it's self-righteous people. I right, mean, but, right. But the church is made up of the sinners who are being made righteous by Christ and so forth. And as a community of faith, mm -hmm. what has gone where we've gone astray is that we, when we become that in focused, when we, mm -hmm. when we just focus on uh, pursuing our own righteousness uh, and forgetting that there are many, many more sick people, yeah. it's like being in a hospital and you getting everybody well and just celebrating the fact that everybody in the hospital right. is well without right. realizing you've got thousands of sick people right outside the mm -hmm. doors. Uh, it's always having that open door and realizing that, he, that that he's building the kingdom, and and the other thing is when is recognizing that within the church, when these people that God is going to bring them in your doors, mm -hmm. the broken people, yeah, that that is where we are to uh, pour our energy. Uh, it is very demanding, mm -hmm. and so I mean, and then he takes people out and takes people of the church out into mm -hmm. communities where there are sick and dying people um, because then when you share the gospel with that person ultimately those people are now part of the church once they put their faith yeah. in jesus christ they're part of the church and now the church surrounds them and tries to be the caregiver for all this mm -hmm. new population of people that's how the kingdom is supposed to grow yeah absolutely uh, and 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 when we and that's one of the things that uh, you always want to remind our church is like we don't want to just we don't want to attract other church people to yeah, our church right because that's not really kingdom growth. Mm -hmm. We want to see uh, sinners brought to repentance. We want to see uh, those who are sick made well. We want to see those who are lost mm -hmm. found. And uh, and yeah, so it does. It takes our. It's it's not individuals going yeah. out and seeing, like I need to get out of the church and go to where there are sinners are at. Mm -hmm. it's, it's that the church itself should send all its people out mm -hmm. to where sinners are and bring them back into the fold of the church where they can then grow and be healed and, and receive. Well, and that's in the same passage in Matthew nine, like right after when he says he looks and he sees, he has compassion. They're harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Then he says, so pray to the Lord of the harvest to send more laborers into the harvest. Right. And that's what we like as church 
as the church need to do right. is is not just pray for more church staff to be going and you know, do well, this and, stuff. And we had this conversation. Yeah. Where I yeah. where you were talking about talking to the youth. I'm not trying to. No, you're fine. You, but I, yeah. We were talking to the youth, and you said I want to teach them the importance of how they can do ministry in the church. Mm-hmm. And and I was like, well, there's there's yeah. only very few ministries right. within the actually functioning mm-hmm. of the church. Yeah. The real ministry is wherever they are. Yeah. It's teaching no, people to do ministry at their job, mm-hmm. and and to be ambassadors for Christ at school, and ambassadors for Christ, right. and when you are sick and in the hospital, and and wherever God has you. Right. Th- I mean, that's that's where the church is failing. Yeah. It's not going out into the fields. Mm-hmm. For the harvest, right? It's like there's a harvest outside, but we're all staying inside a building, right? And we're and we're like, I, you know, what kind yeah. of? And people will come to me and say, "What can I do in the church?" Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, there's so <laughs> many things wrong with that statement, right? Because the church is not a. You're thinking of in a building, right? And it's like we're not a building, we're a people, mm-hmm. and the church's ministry is in the fields, right? Not inside the. Right. That's why I don't. I'm not a big fan of office hours because right. it's. Uh, I think we need to be out into the fields mm-hmm. reaping the harvest, and and then. Yeah, that does create, there are some administrative things that need to be done. There's discipleship that needs to take place here and so forth. But the real, but like you said, Jesus Jesus was saying, don't pray for more Sunday school teachers. Mm-hmm. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth more laborers out into right. the harvest. Right. And then when we bring them in, we'll cultivate it. But yeah. uh, but the real work is bringing in the harvest. Yeah, and that's, and that's so cool. I mean, it's yeah. just, I think sometimes we we overlook the needs of the community and well, like, we're walking past them every day. Yeah, you're right. looking at people every single day who are in dire need mm-hmm. of the gospel. Yeah. And yet it's, it's what I call low hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. Clearly people who yeah. need Jesus and all they need is, and you're the agent of Jesus. Right. And, and you know, when you go, you know, we've been thousands of miles overseas and you go out and everybody right. is lost, you know? Yeah. And here, um, you, you probably have a couple of conversations mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, you go to this church or you go to this church. And it's like, there's a lot of people go to church mm-hmm. uh, or a part of the church or whatever. But, uh, but that doesn't mean there aren't a lot of people who are right. not being, uh, who yeah. are not following Christ. Uh, there's a lot of people who are still desperately in need of the gospel right around us. And, mm-hmm. and you just got to be, I, I'm amazed at how um, we think uh, like in a community like ours, mm-hmm. everybody thinks they know everybody in the community. Yeah. But that's because you go in the same circle over and over mm-hmm. and over and over again. And you are passing people who, but your eyes are going, like if you go to Walmart mm-hmm. and there's 300 people in there, you'll remember seeing the people you know. Right. You don't right. remember all the other faces of people you have no idea who they are. Yeah. But um, but uh, just a conversation, sometimes mm-hmm. just by taking a moment and saying, Hey, can I help you with something? You know, and uh, and I think of the gospel encounters. You know, I, mm-hmm. how many opportunities we miss, and 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 the fact, and the reality is, God is creating those. Yeah, you know, He's gonna put you like the guy. You know, saying he was staying in this hotel, realized I should be staying somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what God does. He says, I know you want to go to this store, but today I want you to go to this store. Right. And uh, you know, I know you go to this place all the time. But let's tell you, I want you to go to this place, and and then be sensitive to. It doesn't do any good if you're not gospel focused. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or else you're just in a really bad part of town. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. right, yeah. So seek compassion yeah. over anger. Uh, yeah, don't be angry. Yeah, exactly. Don't be. Ju- I don't think we are as judgmental if we have the spirit of God with mm-hmm. us. Yeah, we aren't as judgmental people when we are getting to know those people. Yeah, right. Um, it's, it's, we can be very angry at people's sin when we don't know their circumstances because we're very mm-hmm. forgiving of our own sin. Yeah. Oh, very, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very good. Good deal. Uh, well, we got some questions we're going to deal with when we come back right after this. 
We are now going to tackle some questions that arose during our reading for this week. And Josh, please share with us question number one. Yes, question number one. Um, we've been speaking about this priesthood that um, God is making us priests, a kingdom of priests, to reign. And so what does that mean? Well, the priests were a very specific group of people uh, in the Old Testament, uh, as we've been reading in, in Exodus and Leviticus and, and Numbers uh, soon, uh, <laughs> where God said all, and, and this is specifically the sons of Aaron, not just of the tribe of Levi, Aaron's of the tribe of Levi. The Levites are responsible for the care of the tabernacle, but the the priesthood is specifically to the children of Aaron. It starts with his sons and then goes on to their sons and so of that lineage. And they them they are alone are to be the ones who actually go into the presence of God. And you have a high priest who is who is the only one allowed to go actually into the holy of holies to uh, deal sacrifice. So they would have different uh, uh, duties, obligations, and so forth as they go on. There's a couple of things that happen in in the story of Moses, though. It's, there was a, a moment where the Holy Spirit comes upon. Uh, a select group of men, and there were two of them who weren't present, uh, yet exhibited the power of the Spirit, uh, even though they weren't in the and they and they uh, and they were kind of upset about it. Like these two guys weren't with us, and yet they are doing things in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Moses makes an incredible statement. He says, "I wish that everyone had the 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 power of the Holy Spirit." You know, not not res, not resentful of these two just because they weren't here, uh, getting it. Uh, and 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 what he's really is a it's a priestly prayer uh, or prophetic prayer I guess that uh, that uh, Moses is praying for the Holy Spirit to be upon all God's people and which is answered at Pentecost uh, that God pours out His Spirit upon everyone who puts their trust and faith in in Jesus and becomes a follower of Christ. Uh, his they are empowered by the Spirit. So now you have us uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit, actually uh, a tabernacle of such with the Holy Spirit, but but also Jesus becomes our high priest. He becomes he becomes the holy of holies. Uh, he is the mercy seat, uh, the ark of the covenant, uh, and and so we then interacting with him through his grace become ministers of, of a priest. And so we are. It's not a priesthood that's specific to a particular group of people. Uh, we we become a a, a kingdom of priests. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we all we all have now been called to work in the presence of God and in the Holy Spirit, not just a few. Uh, all of us have the ability to pray and intercede and to do the ministries of God. So when so when you think of a pastor, a pastor is not more of a priest than a deacon or even just a, a church member. It's going to say normal church member. Mm-hmm. We're all church, normal church members. But uh, <laughs> but but a pastoring is a role mm-hmm. within the church. Deacon is a role within the church and and uh, specifically to equip and train other people to do the ministry of the priesthood. Right. Uh, but we are all priests. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Um. So my other question is from Mark chapter 2. It's 18 through 22. I'm not going to read it. I'll just explain it. Okay. Um. So I believe... Someone within the Sanhedrin is looking down upon Jesus' disciples once again, and they say, why don't your disciples fast? Because, like, we fast, so why don't they do anything like us? And Jesus responds um, in three ways. He gives them the example of there's no need while they're, why the bridegroom why the bridegroom is with them. And he goes on to explain you don't sow 
new patches of clothing to old and you don't put new wine in old wineskins. And I have I have an understanding of the last two mm-hmm. like illustrations, but every time I read that bridegroom run, I just really am confused. <laughs> well, there are all three all three illustrations that the crowd Jesus is talking to would would understand immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and, he, and and so that's why he does them in succession. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's saying, right. why are they fasting? And he's saying, well, uh, you all know this, that uh, when you are having a wedding, everybody is celebrating. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is wine that is given. I mean, Jesus, at the wedding at Cana, we have mm-hmm. this, where Jesus turns the water into wine and so forth. So obviously yeah. this was a part of every wedding celebration. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, while the groom is here, mm-hmm. uh, this is a time for celebrating. This is not the time for mourning or for fasting, there will come a time when the groom goes away, and that mm-hmm. will be a time uh, when they will fast gotcha. and, and so forth, that, and, and, and they do. Um, and so, so he's not trying to take away, he's not saying I'm doing away with fasting, he's like, yeah. but now you, to fast at a wedding, yeah. that would be inappropriate. That would be, that would be you saying I'm not celebratory mm-hmm. of what is happening and so forth. Gotcha. And really kind of pointing out to them, you just aren't celebrating because you don't believe I am yeah, the groom. You right, don't believe I am, right. uh, th- and that you are the bride. Uh, if you believed I was the Messiah, then you also would be celebrating and not fasting mm-hmm. uh, and mourning. Um, the same way with the the unshrunk cloth and the old garment and and the and that that you wouldn't put uh, this. You know, would you wouldn't one you wouldn't wear old clothes to a wedding. You wouldn't wear uh, you wouldn't wear you wouldn't put this new piece of clothes because when the because when you um, when it's washed or whatever, it's going to tear away because one, you know, any, if you know anything about clothing, if, if if you've washed your jeans over and over and over and over again, and then you put new clothes, new mm-hmm. material on that, that's also going to shrink, yeah. and uh, and then it's going to tear away from the old clothes that have already shrunk. Uh, yeah. That's just, I mean, it's just something practical knowledge that yeah. people should know. And but he's saying, you um you don't take that which is new and given and put it into the old system. And he's saying, you we can't. Right. We aren't doing what you do because something new has come. And right. I'm bringing something new and I'm not going to it's not going to match mm-hmm. the old mm-hmm. that you have. And uh and as we bring this in, that is still absolutely true today. Yeah. If once God comes into you, once Jesus brings this gospel revelation into your life, whatever it was you were doing before will not match up with the new thing that he is uh, bringing in you you just don't um, mix the two mm-hmm. together this isn't this isn't a, a blended understanding of yeah. of the covenant this isn't me improving judaism this isn't me with a new sect mm-hmm. uh this is something completely different and so i'm replacing that this is something that's replacing the old so yeah okay and then one more just super simple mm, a super practical simple. tip on taming the tongue a practical tip on taming the tongue Mm-hmm. That's alliteration. Yeah, um, it is. <laughs> keeping your lips together and not opening your mouth would be the most thing. Mm. I think the, uh, you know, it says that uh, is, you know, to listen, the Proverbs that gives better to listen before you speak and so forth. Uh, there's also one that says something to akin to he who speaks before he knows the answer is a fool. And, uh, and, and knowing, uh, just pausing, there's some of that. I always used to joke that I don't have a valve between my brain and my mouth, and, and God's like, you need one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> turn that turn that little knob and yeah. shut it off, uh, and just pausing for a moment, reading the room and surveying the situation, 
and then speaking. I always appreciate people who have that ability and and have to recognize that when I am not doing that myself. And, and we mentioned a while ago, when you hear yourself saying words mm-hmm. and you're not really thinking about what you're saying, s- just stop. Mm-hmm. Stop talking and don't say any more words. Just pull out of the conversation. People will notice it. They'll go, what's wrong with you? Because yeah. you're always you're always talking. And that's a good thing. They should notice it. And you just should you should just be, I'm really not confident that I have the presence of mind. When I'm tired, when I'm sick, um, especially when I'm tired, I try to recognize I'm not in a good frame of mind to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I know couples, when they uh, have sometimes have rules, never get an argument or, com- or a deep conversation after 10 p.m. because typically it goes astray. And those, you can have rules like that in place. It's just hard to maintain those things. But the biggest thing is, is just knowing when to say, this is not a good time for me to talk. And, and when you have somebody badgering you and badgering you and badgering you, just to just play the Jesus card. Say, I, I'm just, you know, in the name of Jesus, I'm telling yeah. you, I'm, this is just not a good time for me to speak. And, yeah. you know, so, so if you're having an issue with me not talking, then you need, you need to take that to God. Because that's, that's, I think sometimes the biggest thing is we feel baited. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other yeah. person doesn't stop talking. Yeah. Yeah, we're not talking. And that's what they did with Jesus. And Jesus is a great example. Uh, the Pharisees are like, talk, 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 mm-hmm. talk, talk, say mm-hmm. something. Or, you know, they're trying to trap him. They're trying to get yeah. something. And, he, and, he, and he's like a, a silent, a lamb silent before mm-hmm. his shears. And, um, and then he does speak. Mm-hmm. And when he speaks, they tear their clothes. And it's like, yeah. what, what more evidence do we need? Yeah. You know, right. because he says, you know, I, you know, I'm going to be seated at the right hand of God and coming in his glory. You know, that I am the son mm-hmm. of God. And it's like yeah. this moment. But, yeah. but, it is, but it is just revelation of truth. Mm-hmm. And that's how powerful it is when you don't speak but until the absolute moment when God wants you to communicate mm-hmm. what he wants to communicate. Then your words have power. So, yeah, that is, I guess it's, I, there's no more practical tip than just not speaking. Yeah. I mean, just that's taming the tone. Yeah. Gotcha. That's it. Yeah. Good deal. All right. Well, thank you guys for being a part of our podcast today. We uh, always enjoy having you with us. Don't forget that we also have our messages online. If you have missed a church service or two, you can go back and listen to a Sunday sermon. They're all available online. And if you heard something that oh, they didn't cover the passage of scripture that I, I went through in the reading, you can go back. We've been doing it. This is our third season. Mm-hmm. So you can go back to two prior years. You can hear Daniel Monson's voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that really rings your bell, uh, then mm-hmm. you can go back and listen to previous broadcasts. But thank you for being here today on Understanding Jesus.